Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 diabetes for about eight years now. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 58 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Bryn O'Donnell, an advanced practice nurse with a podcast called Let's Review RN. Bryn recently had Jesse and me on her show to talk about type 1 diabetes as part of her review for RN students on the different types of diabetes and what it's like to live with it. Today, we're talking with Bryn about what nurses learn about diabetes in nursing school and what it's like to view type 1 diabetic patients through the lens of nursing. A quick reminder for our audience, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. I'm up for the win of the week. I got something like five days out of a site. It was pretty awesome. I didn't do it on purpose, but since I'm using so little insulin right now, I was able to go a lot longer than usual before changing it. And my numbers didn't really rise that much on the last day when they usually do for sites that long. So that was fun. What's the fail this week, Jesse? All right. So this week's fail isn't necessarily my fail, but it does affect me. Um, it's kind of like a school kind of Corona-esque fail that I'm blaming on the state of the world right now. So for my district, we are not going back to the school building for this quarter. So meaning for about the first two months of the year, I will be online. And so that means I will be online from 8 a.m. to 3, after 3 o'clock almost every day. So that is a little bit tedious because last year they had it to where we were taking class all of our classes, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, online. Uh, we had our Mondays off so we could get like all of our schoolwork caught up from the last week. And then Mondays and Wednesdays, we would have classes one through three. And then Tuesdays and Fridays, we would have classes four, five, and six. And it would only be like three hours long and you just get all your homework done and that would be it. That's the rest of your day. But now they have it scheduled. So the first quarter is classes one, two, and three only. You start at 8.10 and you don't get done with your video call until 3.10 in the afternoon. So that's, that's atrocious. Yeah. I, High schoolers don't need to be in school that long when they're, at work, when they're from home. It, they just don't. I used to get all of my classwork done for the day, done in about 20 minutes after I got done with the call. And usually they wouldn't have anything to add. So we usually got off classes early and the rest of the time was just work. And I would be on my phone, like, I would be distracted working, but I, I got A's and I, I knew the stuff. It's tedious and, you know, we're going to get through it, but that could work well. 
sounds like we're going to have to be very uh, finagly about when we record the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what's our hack this week, Colleen? The hack this week is to actually become friends with the nurses in your endocrinologist's office if they have a nursing staff. When I went to my pediatric endocrinologist, there was a team of nurses that I got to know really well, and I was always excited to see them. The nurses there made the visits more enjoyable, and I recently got to reconnect with one of them after not seeing her for probably over a decade. So this is just a quick shout out to Tammy, if you're listening. Thanks for being my nurse friend. And now here's Bryn. Hi, Bryn. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys. All right, let's dive right into the questions. Can you tell us about who you are, what you do, and how diabetes plays into it? Do you have any personal ties with, to people with type 1? Sure, I'll start kind of with who I am and how I got started with my podcast. So my name is Bryn O'Donnell. I'm a cardiology nurse practitioner as well as a nursing professor. I'm a professor for a Bachelor of Nursing degree program. So I've always been interested in medicine. I did my first degree in pre-med. So I got a degree in neurobiology and physiology and ultimately went back to nursing school. So it was definitely my calling. I ultimately got my master's and then finished my post-master's degree as a nurse practitioner. I've worked as a cardiology nurse practitioner for three years, both inpatient and outpatient, meaning I work in the clinic, but I also work in the hospital setting. Although more recently with COVID, I have been lucky enough to stay out of the hospital. So I've been doing mostly outpatient, which has been a blessing. So on top of that, I have taken my love for teaching and transitioned that into a podcast called Let's Review RN. And this podcast, I initially started for nursing students or like medical assistant students or CNAs or anyone in the healthcare field right now that wanted to brush up on sort of their knowledge on medical diagnosis. But it's kind of slowly evolved into being a resource even for patients or family members of someone who have been given a specific medical diagnosis, and they simply just want to learn more about the medical condition. So I've been podcasting for only four months, and I love it. It's, it's just a calling, and I, I work two different jobs, and I come home, and I want to podcast. So um, on top of all those hats that I wear, I'm also a wife and a mom. I have four kids, my oldest being five, then I have a three-and-a-half-year-old, and twin 15 month olds. So I don't have any specific ties to anyone in my family that's diabetic. My, I think my great grandfather was a type one. I remember seeing him a little bit as a kid do insulin injections and things like that, but I, it doesn't specifically run in my family. So what made you want to enter into the medical field? That's a good question because nobody in my family is in the medical field. So I've just always been interested in biology. Um, I always said I wanted to be a doctor probably since I was in middle school. And I was always so interested in anatomy and physiology. Anatomy was one of my favorite classes when I was in high school and I just excelled at it. I did AP classes and I just stuck with that path. And when I went to University of Maryland, which is where I got my first degree from, I chose one of the hardest biology degrees. And I was like, what am I doing? So medical school wasn't at the end of it, just wasn't my passion. I knew that I wanted to have a better connection with patients. And I didn't really know what that meant 
at first I thought maybe it was medical sales, but that doesn't get me close to patients either. So nursing is where I ended and it's exactly where I should be. As a nursing practitioner, what, what kind of patients do you see most often? So my specialty is cardiology. So I treat mostly cardiovascular disease. There's a lot of diagnosis within cardiovascular disease, but I primarily treat hypertension, hyperlipidemia, congestive heart failure. Um, I focus a lot on arrhythmias and even coronary disease. Patients of mine have had myocardial infarctions, which are heart attacks or even bypass surgery which many people know as open heart surgery. I take care of a lot of patients with valvular heart disorders, mostly aortic and the mitral valve. And a lot of these patients do have type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So it's kind of a balancing act of managing their cardiovascular disease while they're managing themselves with their their diabetics or their diabetes. So besides type 1 and type 2, what types of chronic illnesses show up the most in cardiology? Renal insufficiency and renal failure, definitely very and highly linked to cardiovascular disease, um, coronary disease, which stems from hyperlipidemia, which is high cholesterol. Hypertensive cardiac disease stems from uncontrolled hypertension. There's things that we don't really think about. Obstructive sleep apnea is a silent killer and cause of congestive heart failure. Like I said, I, I deal with a lot of congestive heart failure and renal failure. So what diet or what like specific food restrictions have you seen that work best with diabetic patients, whether it's type 1 or type 2? I don't really specifically recommend one certain type of, of diet for my patients. I like to live a labelless diet or lifestyle myself, and I find that what works for one person may not work for another. And so I have just found that educating my patients on eating 80% out of the refrigerator and shopping the perimeter of the grocery store is the best way to have a diet that's full in whole foods, right? So if we can avoid the processed foods, then we avoid those hidden ingredients, hidden glucose, hidden salt intake, I don't, ingredients that cause an inflammatory process. And so I always educate my patients that lean protein, fruits, and tons of vegetables, whatever that is, whatever they like, then that's what's going to work. If I label somebody as, okay, you should eat keto or you should eat paleo, I feel like it sets them up for failure sometimes. I don't want them to feel deprived by saying that they need to totally avoid something. And so I, th- I found that when you do that, patients tend to fall off the bandwagon. They can, they can stick to it for a little bit and then it's almost, it catches up to them, right? So it's not something that's natural for them. They want to crave what they like. And so we have to find a good balance for them. And um, moderation is key. So that looks different for everybody, especially when you're talking about diabetic patients who have different insulin responses to foods and different hemoglobin A1Cs. So with my cardiovascular patients, I recommend a low sodium diet. And for some patients, that's 1,500 milligrams of sodium a day. But for some, it's 2,000 milligrams. And that's simply based on their disease process and their individual response to salt intake. So at the end of the day, I try to educate my patients that a healthy lifestyle incorporates nutrition, physical activity, as well as rest and relaxation. Okay. So getting into like more specifics, what's your personal opinion on like the keto diet? 
I find that it works. I've had a lot of patients that, I mean, it, it works, right? You want to burn fat, you want to avoid glucose, you eat protein and fat, right? So glucose, which is carbs break down into glucose, that's what initiates an insulin response. So when you don't have that innate insulin response and you rely on exogenous insulin or you rely on medication to increase the sensitivity of your cells to insulin, then you set yourself up for failure with this excessive carb intake. So we found that you can limit your carbs. You can control your hemoglobin A1C with low carb diet. You can live a healthy lifestyle. It's actually not directly tied to cardiovascular disease. Some people think like, my gosh, I'm eating excessive fat. Well, there are good ways to eat excessive fat, right? It's not just the bacon diet. It's healthy car or healthy fats. It's coconut oils and avocados and extra virgin olive oil and omega threes. So I I like the keto diet. Can confirm it totally works. <laughs> right. Okay. So what about going vegetarian? What's your opinion on that one? I'm not familiar with what it means, not what it means, but what it's like to be vegetarian. I've never been vegetarian. It's, I find it as a nurse practitioner, it's hard to educate my patients because I don't live that lifestyle. I just really try to get them to work with either their endocrinologist or their dietitian or their diabetes educator to find ways to incorporate the right amount of protein if you're going to be a vegetarian. And then in nursing school, what do they teach you about dieting or certain diets? Now, do you, are you referring to diabetics or diet in general? Just in general, like what do they teach about dieting? Because I, I have no idea. <laughs> they don't really focus a lot on specific diets. So nutrition is one course, right? So you take one course of nutrition and that's it. And you really learn about macronutrients. You learn about what a protein is, what a carbohydrate is, what a fat is, what sources they come from, how the body utilizes it. And that's it. We move on. If they don't, you know, maybe nursing school, I don't teach nutrition, but they haven't incorporated what it means to be keto diet or what it means to be paleo or what the body's response is to be gluten-free or who it's right for and those types of things. They haven't, they don't dive into that. It's simply the basics of nutrition. I've seen a lot of that about doctors only get like a semester or a quarter of nutrition and then that's it. Yeah. And to be honest, that's why I do my best. I give them my advice, but I always use my resources, which are my registered dietitians and my diabetic educators. Do they happen to go through more schooling for the nutrition piece? Yeah, definitely. Your, regis- your registered dietitians are going to know the ins and outs of all the different diets, how, how each individual person with their disease state is going to be able to utilize a proper diet, what's best for them. They can kind of tailor, are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? Okay, this is, these are the, the sources that you should be trying to get your protein and your fats from. So. They're the specialists. Um, this is a little bit off script, but do you know about how dietitians recommend foods to type 1 diabetics? Because in my experience, most of the, di- the dietitians I've interfaced with 
are very pro ADA, very pro including carbs in your diet. And through experience, I just know that doesn't work. Yeah. I think that's what they're taught in school. I think it's the dietitians who are learning or seeing the light on macros and really experimenting with patients on these different types of of diets. And really it's right now, I think it's trial and error. Paleo has been around for over a decade, right? Kind of boomed over a decade ago. And I don't think that anyone's been on these keto or paleo diets or what it really means long-term. So we're just kind of getting into the studies now of that. Thanks for indulging that sidetrack. Sure. Something we ask all of our guests is, what does burnout mean to you? Do you see burnout in your diabetic patients? And do you have any advice for diabetics who are feeling burnt out? So I can see burnout in all types of patients for many different reasons. These reasons include fatigue from their diagnosis, knowledge deficit, meaning they just simply do not put the connection together that their medications that are prescribed to treat their diagnosis prevent complications. Financial reasons are often seen as a reason why patients just stop taking medications. So the other thing I would say is depression and confusion in some of these Well, depression across the board, confusion, I would say I see more in the elderly population, but they just stop taking care of themselves. And so my biggest advice to patients who are experiencing any form of burnout is to communicate with their healthcare providers. If it's financial reasons, we have resources to get you samples or financial assistance. If it's knowledge deficit, then we can take the time to educate patients and help them connect the dots. If they need a pep talk, or a referral to counselor or therapist for depression or anxiety, we can get them that help that they need, but we can't help them if they're not keeping us in the loop of their needs and what they're feeling. That was a good answer. That was, that was really cool. So can you give us like the medical definition and description of diabetic ketoacidosis and what it looks like to treat it from your perspective? Yeah. Ketoacidosis is a life-threatening problem that affects people with diabetes. Um, Primarily, it affects type 1 diabetics, but in very rare cases, it can be seen in type 2 diabetics. Uh, It occurs when the body starts breaking down fat at a rate that's much too fast, and the byproduct of fat metabolism is ketones. And the body does this because it's at a lack of insulin. So the body can't utilize glucose from Remember, we utilize glucose with insulin. Insulin is kind of this lock and key. It opens the cell doors and allows glucose into the cells to be utilized for fuel. And so there's no insulin. There's a ton of glucose, but it can't be used, right? So then the body actually thinks that it's in a starvation mode. Like it needs fuel because it doesn't, it needs something. So it actually depletes the glycogen stores from the liver. Okay, so what does this do? This simply just throws more glucose into the bloodstream. Doesn't help. And as a last resort, then it starts to break down fat for fuel. So as we break down fat for fuel, the byproduct is ketones and ketones are acid. So the blood becomes more acidic. Then what happens is because you've got all these molecules in your bloodstream, glucose, ketones, the cells actually go through, because of an osmotic law, 
water will move from an area of low concentration to high concentration, right? So all the water will deplete out of the cells into the bloodstream. So now the body's dehydrated and your patient is thirsty. We call this polydipsia. So this patient's drinking a lot, trying to hydrate themselves. And our kidneys play a role because kidneys actually tell our body to hold on to glucose and it regulates this glucose reabsorption. And so when we have tons of glucose now in the bloodstream, it just dumps it into the urine. Again, you get this osmotic, what we call osmotic diuresis. Water will follow all those molecules because ketones are spilling into the urine, glucose is spilling into the urine, and now water, you're putting out, you're peeing a lot, you're diuresing. So you have polyuria, that's the medical term for frequent urination. So now you've got increased thirst because you're, you're dehydrated. You've got a lot of ketones and glucose in your urine, and now you're putting out a lot of urine. You've got a pH that's less than 7.35 because all these ketones are acidic, right? So now you're in this acidotic state. Your breath smells kind of fruity, and that's the ketones building up. And you've got this excessive fat metabolism. So they're losing weight and they're hungry because they're in the starvation mode. The body's trying to find some fuel. So basically when we move into what do we do to treat these patients, um, the goal with treatment of DK is rehydrating the patient, gaining control of blood glucose levels with IV insulin drip and monitoring the electrolyte balance. So as we lower patients' glucose levels who are in DKA, which have elevated blood glucose levels greater than 300, it could be three, four, five hundred, right? Maybe sometimes even higher. We want to focus on not correcting this glucose level too quickly because correcting it too quickly actually causes a fluid shift. And this can cause cerebral edema and inter- increased intracranial pressure. So you actually, this might be getting a little too technical, but when we give our patients IV fluids, it's counterintuitive, but sometimes we will switch and add dextrose to our IV fluids. And that's simply because we can't, we don't want to correct the glucose levels too quickly. And so as insulin becomes readily available with the insulin drip, cells open up and glucose enters the cells. And this also causes electrolytes such as sodium and potassium to re-enter into the cell. So what does that do to our potassium level? Well, it's shifting back into the cell. So we're going to look low on potassium, which is called hypokalemia. So we're going to monitor electrolyte balances because low potassium can actually cause cardiac arrhythmias and changes on your EKG. So to summarize, uh, we want to hydrate our patient. We want to treat the hyperglycemia. We want to treat pain management because a lot of these patients will have abdominal pain and just body aches. Uh, We want to balance electrolytes and we want to educate our patients on how to avoid DKA. Speaking of education, this is related. Can you define the difference between ketoacidosis and nutritional ketosis, which is the way that the keto diet works? It's confusing for a lot of newbies who think that they go on keto. Well, they think they'll get ketoacidosis by going on a keto diet. So with, I don't have, I'm not an expert on ketosis, but with DKA and your type one diabetics, you simply have no insulin. You cannot use any of the glucose that you're, that's in your body, right? So you've stopped taking your insulin in your DKA patients. 
you, there's absolutely no way for you to utilize any of this glucose. Now in ketosis, you are still utilizing some glucose, whether that's you're still taking your insulin, which is an appropriate amount of exogenous insulin to my understanding, based on how much glucose you're actually taking in. So you can enter a state of ketosis, meaning you are burning fat for fuel, but your body can also utilize some glucose because you are, you're not eating zero grams of carbs. You're somewhere, ketosis looks different for everyone, right? So you can be at 20 grams of carbs a day. You can be at 50 grams of carbs, a hundred grams of carbs, whatever that may be, you're still utilizing some but when your body has used up all that you've given it, it turns to fat for fuel and it's not deprived of glucose completely. I think that'll be helpful for everyone. So you can go low carb and you won't get ketoacidosis. They're two separate things. Oh, correct. <laughs> As a nurse practitioner and a nursing professor, how have you seen the medical treatment and nutrition advice for type 1 or type 2 diabetics shift over time? Like what are nurses taught in school about type 1 diabetes? So the biggest shift I've seen is nutritional education for diabetics. We used to focus on how many carbohydrates the diabetic patient should have at each meal. And we still do focus on that, but I've seen a shift in this somewhat. And with a shift, I mean that we focus on what type of carbohydrates or what the source of carbohydrates are coming from. We talk about how much you should have in a day, but the main focus there is the source of, of carbs, right? So getting carbohydrates from fruits and vegetables is completely different than, than highly processed foods or grains or your body, you know, you utilize them different. So I'm sorry, I got a little sidetracked, but I would say the biggest emphasis on type one is that they don't have any or very little endogenous insulin. And ultimately with treatment, they end up on subcutaneous insulin, whether that be injection or an insulin pump. And we talk about different complications between type 1 and type 2 diabetics in nursing school, and specifically DKA and HHNS. And so what HHNS is, it's hyperosmolar hyperglycemic non-ketotic syndrome. And so this is for your type 2 diabetics, whereas DKA is more for your type 1 diabetic. And so as a bedside nurse, you are either treating a severe complication of diabetes or you're managing their diabetes in conjunction with an acute complication. So nurses should understand the impact of stress and surgery and how glucose levels can increase or decrease based on these, these outside stressors. And they should also understand the risk factors of infection with elevated glucose levels, especially from recovering from surgery. What are nurses taught about the relationship between food, insulin, and weight? Like, How are RNs taught or expected to take care of their diabetic patients? So when nurses are educated in nursing school about the relationship between food and insulin, they focus on what foods are broken down into glucose and that glucose creates an insulin response from the beta cells of the pancreas. We focus a lot on both oral antihyperglycemics as well as subcutaneous insulin and the results you'll see when the patients are taking these different types of medications. If the patient is on insulin, we need to educate about the different types of insulin, whether that be rapid acting, short acting, intermediate acting, or long acting. And nurses need to understand the, the timeframes of onset, peak, and duration, and what that looks like for each type. 
we talk a lot about um, type one diabetes and specifically that it could be genetic or autoimmune triggered that the beta cells are killed off and the body does not produce any of its own insulin and therefore exogenous insulin is needed. And for type two diabetics, we talk about the risk factors for the development of type two diabetes, including obesity, family history, patients who have an impaired fasting glucose or are considered pre-diabetic. So their hemoglobin A1C would be 5.7 to 6.4. Metabolic syndrome is talked about, which talks about visceral fat, which is referring to excessive abdominal obesity. If a patient was diagnosed with gestational diabetes or had a child over the weight of nine pounds, they can be predisposed for developing type two diabetes. Uh, students are educated about the symptoms to look for in undiagnosed or uncontrolled diabetes, such as polyuria, polydipsia, and polyphagia, fatigue, blurred vision, uh, frequent infections such as UTIs due to high glucose spilling in the urine. We talk about the complications that uh, we touched on DKA, and then I also just talked about HHNS, which is a similar complication but does not result in it's not, you don't have the buildup of ketones. So it's a little different for type two diabetics. I literally have multiple podcasts on all of these topics and dive into them in detail. So for anyone interested, they can definitely check them out. I'm just finishing this up. So it's, this is coming at a great time. This is all fresh in my brain, but we educate our patients on how to manage their blood sugars, including home glucose checks and frequent hemoglobin A1C follow-ups. Um, their resources for diabetic education, how to properly assess their feet, as all diabetics should be doing daily. We talk to our patients about how to wash their feet, wearing proper footwear, signs of infection, signs of hyperglycemia and hypoglycemia, right? Because the diabetic patient can experience both. We can't forget about hypoglycemia just because they're diabetics. And we think, oh, they have high blood sugar all the time. We also educate them on the risk factors that come with the diagnosis of diabetes, which are cardiovascular disease and stroke. Can you um, quickly define what it was it exogenous and endogenous insulin is? I don't think yeah, I've heard either of those before. Endogenous is just your own insulin, whereas exogenous insulin is just an outside source. Thank you. So how might a personal connection improve an RN's quality of care for a type 1 diabetic patient? I'm going to answer this in a little bit more general term, not just type 1, because I think when a healthcare provider or a nurse experiences a diagnosis in their personal life, whether that be themselves diagnosed with the same disorder or a disease or a friend or a loved one, they can empathize with the patient and develop a rapport more effectively. So building a good rapport with a patient can always create a higher quality of care simply because the patient interprets it that way, right? And there's more time spent at the bedside with the patient that you have this rapport with. So ultimately, you're educating the patient more. You're talking with the patient more. More comes out. You, you learn about their lifestyle. You learn about their needs, their wants, their likes. And so really, you can build a better health plan or plan of care for a patient that, that you build a rapport with or that you feel tied to. Nice. That was good. So when you were in school, what were you taught was the proper way to lose weight? In, healthy, in nursing school, they don't teach you how to lose weight. And it's not, the focus is not 
like that. And I don't know if it's because they don't feel it's our role to educate on weight loss, but we don't actually talk about how to educate our patients on weight loss. Is that the doctor's responsibility? No. I think that that that's the dietitian's responsibility or there are, there are physicians who focus on weight loss or obesity and treating those types of, of disorders. Right. So I think it's a specialty, so I shouldn't say physicians aren't, but if you're a specialist in endocrine or cardiology, or even just a family, a primary care physician, I don't think that a lot of them feel comfortable or have the knowledge to really, maybe even the time to spend, because it's going to take time. It takes time to teach someone how to change their habits. So we're not taught that. That's unfortunate. Is that something you would like to see changed in the future? I think it's, you have to tread lightly. There are a lot of mental health issues that need to be danced around when you're teaching how to weight loss, right? So I think the approach is sometimes giving the information on what's healthy and what's not and letting individuals choose their own path. So the last time we talked, you mentioned that you learned on your podcast, you mentioned that you learned a lot from listening to podcasts. So what have you learned from being a podcaster, like being on the other side? Are you asking like, what have I learned on the things that I've talked about or just by being a listener? Both. So I have, being a podcaster, I have brushed up on my my knowledge. You know, I spend so much of my day treating cardiovascular disease and you forget even the small things that that you should know, or it's just these reminders and this maybe the the new guidelines that are out. So I feel like I'm continuing my education by being a podcaster, which is awesome because it's personal growth for me, right? So I'm continuing to be better for my patients because I'm constantly learning. As far as listening to podcasts, I listen to health and wellness a lot, even medical podcasters, and just that's where I gravitate towards. So just learning and listening. A lot of times they'll have people on who have started their own business in the wellness industry or what wellness means to them. And it just gives you this different perspective every time you hear somebody talk on what wellness is or what health means to them or how can you use bone broth or, you know, what is it good for? It just, it's really cool for me. I just, I like to learn. And over the last one to two years, I've just, every time I get in the car and I drive to work, I listen to a podcast. I'm like, this is such wasted time if I'm listening to the radio. Like, I should be learning something. And I don't care if that's how the creator of Spindrift, which is a carbonated beverage company, which I'm drinking. So that's why I just said that. I, you know, if how they got started, but it's just kind of, it's knowledge. And that's what I, I'm looking for. I will agree with that because since we've been doing this podcast, my A1C has gone down. And that's something that podcaster Rob Howe noticed is the more you're involved with the diabetes community, the better your control is. 
it's it's fascinating. It's almost it's always at the forefront of your brain, whether you, you're really focusing on it or not, right? So, all right, we're moving into our wrap up questions. What advice do you have for the young type one diabetics out there? From a cardiology nurse practitioner, I would say one of the most important things that you can do for your health is to manage your glucose levels and your hemoglobin A1C. So this gives your future self the best possible health outcomes and chances of not developing these debilitating associated diagnoses, such as cardiovascular disease, ocular problems, stroke, and more. Do you have any projects that you're working on that you're super excited about? Like any new uh, podcast episode series that you want to tell the audience about? So I'm continuing to work really hard, right? So I'm I'm busy, but I love this so much. I'm trying to pump out one to two episodes a week. I've only been doing this for four months, so I'm trying to build my library. But I just wrapped up on, I did multiple episodes on type one and type two, as well as the, the complications. And so I'm going to move into some more endocrine disorders such as hypo and hyperthyroidism. I'll talk about Addison's disease and, and Cushing syndrome coming up. Also, I've started over the last couple of weeks, I've been popping on my stories on Instagram. And Monday through Friday, I'll hop on and I'll do an educational tip. So for you know students or nurses or anyone in the medical field who wants to have a medical tip of the day, I hop on and I either tie it to what my current podcast is that just was released, or maybe my default is always cardiovascular disease. And that's a good segue into asking if our listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you online? They can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Let's Review RN. They can visit my website at letsreviewrn.com. And to listen to my podcast, the podcast can be found anywhere podcasts are hosted. So again, the name of that is Let's Review RN. Great. Thank you for coming on. It's been awesome talking with you. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Jesse, what is our question for the audience this week? Our question for you, our lovely audience this week is, what has your experience been with RNs as a type 1 diabetic? Do they ask you high quality questions and do they take care of you and how you need to be taken care of? That's it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Bryn O'Donnell for coming on as a guest to the show. You can listen to the episode we did with her on her show called Let's Review RN by visiting letsreviewrn.com. You can find Bryn online on Instagram at Let's Review RN. And again, her website is letsreviewrn.com. And you can find all these links in the show notes. And you can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 58. That's the number 58. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode or a guest request, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. Are you struggling to juggle all your responsibilities and expectations? Having a life coach means you have someone dedicated to helping you solve all your problems, including those, one week at a time. If you want to find out if we're a good fit, please schedule a free 60-minute coaching consult at inspiredforward.com coaching. Even if we don't work together, you'll come away with a clear understanding of what you need to do to solve your problems. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward, and our email is Colleen at InspiredForward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about the show or about type 1 diabetes. Thank you so much for listening. 
you like this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts since that really helps other people find us. And be sure to listen next week when we talk about elimination diets, which is something I did on my own to find out what foods I'm sensitive to. The results so far have been pretty interesting. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.